It's good to see you all this morning. We're working through the book of Acts. As you know, we're in chapter 19 this morning. You can start turning your Bibles or your uh, phone there. And uh, we'll be working through a first section there. And we're, then we're taking a little bit of a pause for the month of uh, July on Acts. We'll pick back up in August and finish up by the end of the year, Lord uh, willing. It's important to say that. And uh, excited to be there. While you're, while you're turning, uh, wondering how many of you, when it gets closer to summer, you find yourself looking forward to some of the movies that are out in the theater. Some of the things that come with some Incredibles. Anybody seen that already? Uh, Solo. That's kind of old news. The uh, Jurassic Park. Anybody go to see Jurassic Park? My, my kids were really excited about seeing that, but they hadn't seen any of the other ones. And so we're like, right, we need to watch some of the older ones and just see how you do with that first. And so I saw a lot of blanket-covered heads uh, as we watched the 2015 one. But one of the, the trends you'll notice in most of these uh, movies is there's almost always, without fail, some kind of an intense chase scene, right? Some kind of a, a pursuit where one person is running and one person or one thing, in this case, is, is chasing. And it's kind of the intensity of that. It's kind of throughout kind of the theme of really all of these movies. Kind of chase scenes is one of the things that draws us in. And really, and you're like, how does that relate to the book of Acts? I would say that this book, the entire book of the Bible, is really just a ton of chase scenes. The chase scenes are this, God pursuing man. God pursuing man. Not with the intent to destroy or eat like that movie, but literally with the intent to pursue relationship. And the measures in which he goes while we keep running are unbelievable. He has a, a number of methods and techniques. And as you maybe reflect back upon your journey, you can think through, man, this is what, the, the, what he had to overcome in my life. This is what he had to do to pursue me. These are the measures that he went. Really, some messages are with the intent to move you to do something different. This is maybe a message with the intent to maybe have us pause and think about the extreme Love, the relentless pursuit that our God has for us should move us to just hearts of gratitude, even going into the summer ahead. Let me pray before we dive into this section. Lord, as we mentioned in song, we do invite your spirit to uh, come and reign and rule in this room and that you'd work throughout, that you'd uh, meet people exactly where they're at. And I know specifically some people need to hear one message, other people need to hear another message, and you're so good at doing that. And so we ask that you'd be prevailing and reigning in this room and doing that. Encourage people where they need to be encouraged, challenge where they need to be challenged. God, we submit ourselves to you through this text and are grateful for the way you do speak to us through your word. We pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So chapter 19, we're starting in verse 1, but let me give a little, just real brief backdrop of where we've just come from. We just last week took a little bit of a detour, if you remember, from the story of Paul and took a, a wider angle view as to what was going on with the church. It was no longer dependent on one man and his preaching. God was at work. We got introduced to a guy named Apollos last week. We started learning, and you remember in a little video that we watched that we're all part of a global enterprise. God is on the move all over the place. It's no longer hinging on one person's faithfulness, but God has put down roots, and his church is expanding. It's a pretty awesome thing. 
now we're moving back to Paul and his story and his life and ministry. It's actually now his third missionary journey that we're on. And the last major city that he was in was a city called Corinth. You can still visit there today. Now we're going to a different uh, city called Ephesus. Ephesus was literally kind of in the same exact uh, bay, if you will, the agency separating the two, a port city. And Ephesus and Corinth are very similar with the very similar vices, very entangled in idol worship. They're really bound by this pursuit of, of wealth. And here we're going to see they're also very fascinated with the supernatural, kind of what's going on behind the scenes. So this is the setting the stage now for the extended ministry of Paul there for about two years. And so we're starting there with the mission, rescue mission that God's on in this new city through the Apostle Paul. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, as I mentioned, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. This was about a 1,200-mile trip, so this isn't a little journey. He's just getting there. It says, There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then? Were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Pretty fascinating interaction, real similar to last week with Apollos. I was just missing some kind of key ingredients, some information, and that's a lot of times where people are at and God in his patience kind of helps fill in the blanks. Here, Paul asks them a pretty interesting uh, question upon encountering them. Can you imagine asking this out in the atrium? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Is the question that he asked. Why is that? Because Paul understood something. He understood that the Holy Spirit was a, a, a clue that God is at work in somebody's life and evidence that they had actually embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So he's asking that, but he's, when he's digging in, he's realizing they're missing a lot of information. They're, they're fairly clueless, and he starts filling in the blanks. I don't know if you have something that you look back in your life and you're like, during this season... I didn't know this. It was kind of embarrassing to find out later that I didn't know this. Anybody have that? You can think back to. My wife, I'm going to tease her for a second. She doesn't know this, but she's a Canadian, grew up in Canada and Saskatchewan, and we don't always give her a hard time some of the different American things that she didn't know necessarily coming here. So the national anthem starts, Oh, Say Can You See, right? And she was very convinced growing up that it was Jose can you see? So she thought it was a guy named Jose. And, uh, and so, so anyway, just fun, fun pointing those uh, little things out. To, you guys are clearly just staring at me blankly. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> Jose, can you see? Anyway, uh, so, so she's there. She's connecting the dots here. Paul is helping, is helping them figure out some basic stuff. He says, oh, you, you're baptized in John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist, if you're actually listening to him, he pointed to the Holy Spirit consistently. In fact, in Matthew, he says this, Matthew 3, 11, I baptize, this is John talking, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, 
whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. Pretty intense passage predicting the coming of the Holy Spirit for those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. So here he connects the dots for them. Upon hearing it, they're not, they're not obstinate. They're not pushing back. They, what does it say? They embrace that truth. They're, they're excited about it. Even though it's been 24 years since John the Baptist had been beheaded, so they're confused a pretty long time, but they come to this truth, embrace it, and then what does it say? Paul lays his hands on them, prays on them, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. It's evidence in the fact that they're speaking in, in tongues and they're prophesying. It's showing that the Holy Spirit shows up in great power. It's kind of ironic, though, we're under this, this title, Corrects Confusion, and I want to take a second just to do that because this is one of the key passages that people look at when they believe that the coming of the Holy Spirit happens as a different transaction as being saved. So you have kind of two camps of people, maybe even in this room. One camp would say, once you believe and are saved, the Holy Spirit comes and sets up camp inside of you. Another camp would say, believe and are saved, and then it's a separate transaction when the Holy Spirit comes and sets up camp inside of you. Are you familiar with this kind of divide and different understandings of this? So here I want to just take a, just a two-minute diversion just to look back at what we've already seen in Acts. We've seen four different times the Holy Spirit show up in dramatic fashion. The first one was with the Jews in Acts chapter 1. You remember this? Up in the upper room, they're waiting, waiting patiently. That Jesus had told them, just wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come. They wait, and the Holy Spirit comes and shows up, tongues of fire, speaking, prophesying, pretty powerful experience, not based on any laying on of hands, not based on anything other than just waiting. Then the next account of the Holy Spirit coming is with the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. Philip points the Samaritans to Jesus, and after pointing to them, they, be are belie they believe, are baptized. Then later, Peter and John come and confirm this, lay hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So you're like, okay, well, that's kind of a, a different transaction, a little bit uh, has a, a person involved in that, uh, both Peter and John. Then in Acts chapter 10, you have Peter who preaches to Cornelius. If you've been in this series for a while with us, you might even remember that. Preaches to him, his entire family, all of his friends. They all embrace Jesus Christ. And it's a, a pretty miraculous thing. But here's what happens in that one. In the middle of him preaching, Peter's preaching to Cornelius. Before they had, it mentions them believing. Before they, it mentions them being baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon them in power in, in that very moment. Now here, the fourth account, you have these people that have some confusion corrected. Paul lays hands, prays on them. They have the, the Holy Spirit come upon them. So what you start to realize is, is, wait a second, there's not exactly any kind of a pattern, discernible pattern here. One is A plus B plus C. Another one's A plus D plus B. Another one's A plus E plus, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's kind of a, a changed way. In other words, the big idea is, there's not a normative thing to point to in the book of Acts. These are all special ways that God reveals himself to them and comes upon these different new believers, as he's, but it's not necessarily setting a precedent for how it works. The book of Acts has literally hundreds and even thousands of other people that believe and are baptized, and then the Lord, then the Spirit comes upon them immediately upon belief 
So here is what I would suggest based on the remainder of what Paul teaches in the New Testament is once we believe, the Holy Spirit comes and sets up camp. He doesn't give us instructions that you need to do this, this, and this. Otherwise, this passage wouldn't be true, uh, this description, this next one. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see, that belief is the only thing prior to the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Also, Romans 8.9 tells us this, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So in other words, there's nobody that's in some kind of a limbo state waiting for the Holy Spirit. So that was my little brief theological detour. Are you guys okay? You're looking, you hung in through this? Okay, back to the story. Verse 8. So he engages first with people that are a little confused. Now he's about to engage with some skeptics. And he says, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All right, so first one, as I'm talking about the pursuit of God and the chase that he had, it had to do with people that were a little confused, not, not just missing some facts, some important facts, but a little bit off. Now, this one is the exact opposite. This would be somebody that's more dug in their heels and is resistant. This person, we've all crossed paths with this person, kind of the skeptic that says, you know what, prove to me. Prove to me that there's a God. Prove to me. Let let me see all the facts. Weigh all the evidence. And I love that God is just fine meeting and pursuing that person as well. He's patiently working with them. How long does it say that he's there in the synagogue preaching every day? Three months. Three months. Any guys remember maybe in grade school when there's a particular girl you're interested in and they had wanted nothing to do with you? Man, one week of pursuit, you're like, enough of this, man. I'm, I'm moving on. But, but here, three months of just chasing and coming after them patiently, waiting for these folks to come along. But what does it say is true about them? That they continued in their unbelief. It says that they became stubborn. Stubborn is another interpretation in the King James is hardened. In other words, this process that happens when there's repeated rejection that your heart just gets more and more hard towards the Lord. We've all encountered that person in our life, haven't we? That person that you're like, man, they just, they just seem to have dug in their heels. doesn't matter how many times they, they hear it, how it's presented, what angle, who's praying for them. They are just resisting that message. When I was growing up, my, uh, my family would visit my grandparents in Philadelphia, and they had kind of one of those houses where it was broken into two levels, and they had one family on the lower level, one on the upper. My aunt and uncle lived in the lower level under my grandparents. Well, my uncle's name was Jack, and every single year when we'd take this family trip, it was always, even I remember as a young kid, we'd be consistently praying, God, just change Jack's heart soften it. He's heard the gospel so many times, and it broke all of our hearts to watch him dig in his heels more and more, just resistant to the gospel, and literally never, even till he, to our knowledge, even till he sucked in his last breath, never would budge 
on hearing the gospel message. Always resisted, always resisted. That's here with these folks. These folks, God, God says, you know what? Once they start turning a corner and start opposing the gospel message, I love it, it says that they oppose the way. It's not just a way. The gospel is the way. When they were stubborn, dug in, and started opposing the way, that's when it was time for Paul to move on. He moves on, and most likely, moving on to this place by a, kind of a school, if you will, in that day and age, rented the school most likely of a lecturer by the name of Tyrannus, which is kind of interesting to me because his name means tyrant, so maybe not the best landlord. But either way, he moves in. He moves in there, and it says something at the end of that section. It says that all the residents of Asia heard that. That would be present-day Turkey. So this was not a little thing happening there in that region. Anytime Scripture uses the word all, you're like, whoa, you mean every single one? Yep, every single person in that major region heard the gospel message. And you might ask, how's that possible? The reason it's possible, so it's moving now from the big picture view and honing in on the why that was possible. And look at verse 11, because God was, first off, he's showing off. First, verse 11 says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Can you imagine that? So here you're seeing a little bit of the reason why everybody was hearing the gospel message, because God in his kindness, in his pursuit of man, he doesn't mind putting on a show to say, here, let me show you that there is a supernatural. Let me show you that I can heal. Let me show you, I'll meet you at your place of questioning and display my power in miraculous ways. Pretty awesome. He doesn't mind putting on a show. I was talking to my friend Joe, who's a pastor up in the Fresno area, and uh, he always has some kind of a crazy supernatural story to share. But he was telling me about his brother. He, has a, uh, he comes from a larger family, and one of his brothers has been very resistant to the gospel over the, the years. And, uh, but it was interesting because they still see Joe as like the pastor in the family. So his brother moved into a new house, and they started hearing things in the new house. They're getting a little freaked out. We had that one time with our house, but it was a raccoon. But, uh, but anyway... Here, so they invite my friend Joe, said, hey, Joe, can you come over and can you start praying over each one of these rooms to get whatever's going on in here, we want it out. Joe's like, sure. So he and his wife, Lisa, came over and they're, they're praying. And as they're praying in different rooms, the brother, they hear his brother kind of chuckling and laughing at them. And Joe, Joe's getting irritated by this because that's what brothers do. And, uh, and he go, goes to his brother. He's just like, why are you, are you, th do you think this is a joke? Like, why are you laughing? He's like, yeah, he's like, this is probably a mistake. Whatever you're doing here isn't do, going to do anything. And, uh, and my, my friend Joe is getting agitated and sometimes God works through agitated people. Uh, and so my, my friend Joe goes, well, what would I have to do to convince you that God is at work in your house and he can do some crazy stuff to, to, to win you over? So he's like, I don't know, I don't know. So Joe's like, how about this? He's like, did you know he has a son that was 19 years old? He's like, he goes, you know your son's struggling with depression, right? And he's like, yeah, I definitely know that. And he's like, he said, why don't you check upstairs? He hadn't been upstairs yet, Joe. He's like, why don't you check upstairs under, under his bed in a box? There's a 22 rifle uh, that's up there. You probably didn't know that, did you? And his brother's like, no, we don't have a, a gun up there. Go upstairs. Guess what's under the bed in a box? 
there the son had a, had a rifle. God, God was displaying something. Well, one, for the protection of his son. Two, because God doesn't mind showing off if on the other end of that, that means somebody embraces Christ as Savior. So he has this amazing display. And in this story that we're reading, how crazy is that? Imagine if just today, you know, if let's pretend this would be a fun thing to pretend. I'm the Apostle Paul. You know, I wipe my sweat here because uh, I don't have any hair to catch it. And uh, imagine if I'm like, anybody know somebody sick? You know, I, I got this. You, you take this home and you just touch them with it. They're going to be healed? Can you imagine how the word would spread about that? Can you imagine that, that region? We're not doing that. Some people are like, well, let me not. No. Uh, but, but can you imagine how that would start to impact a region? Because why? We have a God that will go to extreme measures to meet us exactly where we're at. And that's exactly where the mystic people in that day and age were at, where he had to do the miraculous to get their attention. And he was willing to do that. So he shows off. Then also, I, I like this next section that continues to get more crazy. He also exposes frauds. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, uh, you know, those people that do that for a living, uh, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. I love that. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest known as Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, listen to this, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Love that. And the man in whom the, was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. It's easy in Scripture to be like, oh, yeah, look at that story. There's another one. But, but seriously, pause for a second. Think about how crazy pants that story, what just happened there is. Like, that, that's unbelievable, the way that God was working to pursue people and to reveal frauds. So first, he says that, that these guys, it jumps into to, to Paul's, uh, the story of him interacting with these son and seven sons of Sceva, that just sounds like a mafia group. So these seven sons, they're actually pastor's kids, which is kind of ironic. So they're children of a priest. And they're basically, they've figured out how to make a living doing maybe these exorcisms or at least putting on a show for them. So they see this, this display of power by Paul all over the place. And they're like, man, whatever he's got, we want some of that. So they start trying to utilize faking it with people saying they come across this guy that has a legit demon inside of him. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll try that, that name of Jesus and see if that'll actually work. So they try it. And what is that? What happens? It backfires, right? I love that response. Jesus, I know him. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? In other words, children of God, people that have embraced Jesus as Christ and Savior, we recognize them, but you are trying to use this name without any kind of relationship with him. Think about that for a second and how he responds to these guys. So you got seven sons gathered around this one guy. This is like a, this is like a Chuck Norris movie. Like he's seven guys. You imagine these brothers, like, like they, they probably, probably got a pretty good shot against this guy. No. Can you imagine being outside of the house? You hear bam, bam, boom, boom, boom. And then what comes out? 
Seven naked dudes all beat up. Like this was an intense scene. Do you think that would have made it throughout the community a little bit? Can you imagine if that happened in Old Agora? You're just like, man, I can't believe that. What, what's going on? God is on the move revealing himself as the one true God and not someone to be taken lightly. You see, there is a spiritual world behind the scenes, whether we're aware of it or not. I feel like sometimes we shy away from talking about it, but literally this planet, this planet is a holding space for angels that have rejected God, go on their own way, where we know them as demons, have set up camp here and are awaiting permanent punishment consequence for their rejection. It's also a planet that's full of people that have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that are awaiting permanent punishment consequence for their choice. So in that environment, it shouldn't ever shock us when there's some crazy stuff that goes down. Sometimes people watch the news, man, I can't believe how bad things are. Are you kidding me? I can't believe how good things are. You know, when you think about it from that perspective, here you see that they're, they're vulnerable because they don't know Jesus and whom they're speaking of. So they try to oppose them, find out that it's no fun counterfeiting the divine. Verse 17 continues, and fear fell upon them all. In the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled or praised enthusiastically. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books before uh, together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and it found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of, I love this, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. We'll stop there, but let me talk just briefly about this. It's one last tool that God uses in his pursuit of man, and that's the, that's the power of a changed life, the power of a testimony. I don't know if you've ever been across paths with somebody you hadn't seen for a while, and all of a sudden they're, you come across them, and they're like strangely in shape. They've like turned their life. They've started Jenny Craig, and they've like gotten turned things around, and you're like, man, you are so transformed, and what do you want to ask? You're like, how did you do it? What did you do? Well, the same thing is true spiritually. When someone has an encounter with Jesus Christ, they come back, and they're complete. They, they don't even look the same. Like, man, I remember them when they were like just a punk and a jerk and mean, and now all of a sudden they're, they're nice and kind and patient and actually lift people up instead of tearing them down. All of a sudden the world is drawn to that. Whatever they have, we want that. That's another tool that we see here in the text that God is using is the power of changed lives to draw those around to him. So he's using that as a tool and advancing the church through that method. It's a little mini revival. You think about what's going on there. All these, these people, and it says these believers that are actually still entangled a bit in old sin. Any believers here still a little tangled in uh, old sin? So here, uh, I guess it's just in that day and age, uh, but, but here they had that issue. And so they go back and what do they do? Bring all their magic books and all of this. They set up a, a big pile. And what does it say that they do? They did create a, a big bonfire. And I, the reason I say big, this was not a, a little amount of resources that they're bringing together. It specifically is, uh, explains that it was worth 50,000 pieces of silver. If a person in that day and age, their a day's wa wages was one piece of silver, 
So 50,000 days of wages was represented there. That would be equivalent if we made 100 bucks a day, that'd be equivalent of $5 million worth of magic stuff. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, wait, oh, there's a magic hat, there's a rabbit. Like, you, like, what's going on here? Pretty crazy revival. And when revival happens, when the church actually gets right with the Lord, when we repent and come back to him, guess who notices? Everybody around us. Everybody around us, when we actually get serious about following the Savior we claim to follow, the world will take note. And that's why it says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The book of Revelation tells us that in that region alone, there's the church of Ephesus was started, the church of Smyrna was started, the church of Pergamos, the church of Thyatira, the church of Sardis, the church of Philadelphia, the church of Laodicea. God was on the move. He was building his church because he makes himself irresistible in people's lives. So what do we do with that information? One, for the person here that God's been chasing down for a really long time and you've dug in your heels, what if today, July 1st, was the day that you finally said, all right, I'm in, I'm in. I'll take him up on that offer. I'll embrace him. I'll, I'll put my trust in him rather than all of the fleeting things I've clung till till now. What if that happened for someone today? That would be amazing. Second group of people, it's not a do, it's more of a change in thinking. And if you have a God that loves you to the extreme, that he would bend over backwards in the pursuit of you, what does that tell you about your value? What does that tell you next time the enemy wants to tell you you're not worth anything, your life is pointless, what are you doing here, you're failing at everything? You're like, no, man, I am worth something because I have a God, the God of the universe, that bends over backwards in my pursuit. Cling to that truth. Let me pray as we wrap up. God, I thank you for this testimony of events in the early church that give us little clues. And I know I could have gone a lot of directions with this section of Scripture, but I was so impressed with the measures that you take and your relentless love for us. God, I thank you for that reality. I thank you for the pursuit that you had even in my own life, I can point to. I thank you when we went around, if we went around this room and had open mic, how many stories of your pursuit, your relentless pursuit of relationship that you've had in this room. Pray that that would compel us to a hearts of gratitude, that would compel us to hearts of praise, that would compel us of, to life, lives of submission where we turn over anything that's in the way. And then I specifically pray for the person that's in this room that's been digging in their heels, that's been resistant. I pray that this might even be that Sunday that they submit to you, God. We know that the power of your Holy Spirit can even do that in this room right now. God, as we sing this last song, God, I'm reminded of no longer being slaves, God. And what a beautiful picture that is, that you took us out of that, released us, set us free, washed us clean. You're so good. You're so patient. You're so loving with us. We praise you for that this morning. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. If we can be praying for you, we have a few volunteers here available after the service. Otherwise, hope to see you this evening at the worship concert with Agape. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.